Oh, good to see you. I act like I've never done this before. I didn't know how to turn this on. Um, thank you, Pastor, for uh, inviting us. We are we're really thrilled to be here. Um, it's good to have Heidi here with us. Uh, I say us, but just me, myself, and I and my wife are here tonight. And uh, we're, we're glad that we have an opportunity to be with you. We've been praying for this meeting. And, um, you know, this is, this is the most important, it's probably the most important time in the life of the church right here. Uh, which is why it was probably difficult for you to be here. And uh, there's a lot of things that are competing interests to the things of God. And I'm sure that there's been things that have happened in your life this week that have maybe some of you thought, man, I don't really know if I'm going to make it, or I don't think that um, I've got the energy to go, or this unexpected thing came up. But, but you came, and uh, you can expect over the next two or three days that there will be more of that as the devil just tries to interfere with what God is trying to do uh, in you this week. So I'm glad you're here. And um, I think there's just some things that God's going to uh, gonna teach us and help us with. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a great year, um, missions-wise, since your last missions conference. And uh, the preachers that you had last year and just the things that God has done uh, in preparation for, for this year. And so um, we should always be thinking about greater things, shouldn't we? Uh, what, what next can God do? And uh, how can we get in on what God's doing? And that really should be our heart and our desire. So uh, it's good that you're here. Uh, thank you for the, the message. I wrote a, a lot of thoughts down from that message, Pastor. Thank you for that. And for all of us, let's turn on our Bibles together, Second Peter chapter 3. I know it's probably hard going back-to-back messages, but uh, the singing was fantastic. Thank you for that message in song that we just heard. I'd never heard that before, and I'd sure like to hear it again. It was fantastic. All right, Second Peter chapter 3 is very... Uh, very timely how the Lord has put uh, some things together, the, the singing and then the message that Pastor preached. And I thought what I'd do tonight is, uh, is just focus in on um, maybe some questions that I have for you, and then we'll, we'll get into to the book of Second Peter. Um, <clears throat> I want you to put yourself in the position of, of a Christian that had, that had lived in the first century. I want you to think about living, living in the, the area of Asia Minor, and I want you to think about the fact that you were raised uh, in a religious environment where you worshipped one of the planets. Uh, and you had been raised, and there was a temple down the road from where you lived in this particular city, and all you'd ever known in your city was that you would go to this temple, and this was the temple to perhaps uh, Jupiter, uh, and you would go there and uh, you would worship and however it is that you would worship, you would do your thing, uh, your religious exercise. And perhaps at night you would stand outside because there were no city lights as we know them today. And, and you would gaze up into the night sky and, and somebody told you that, that that blinking light out there was a planet and it was the God that you worshipped. And so all you'd ever known was that particular religious environment. And then at some stage in your life, and you were going about your day-to-day business, and perhaps a stranger showed up into town that day. And as any normal citizen of your particular community, you sort of knew the people that were there, and it was a bit of a surprise that there was this unusually dressed fellow. You could tell he was not from around there, and he showed up, and he was a Jewish man, and he began to share some things that you'd never heard before. And he began to tell you the story of the life of a man. What intrigued you about this is that it was so unusual that he would come and he would command an audience in your city. And there would be people that would gather around and listen to the man and everybody would stand around and they would just listen to 
the strange tale of a man from some distant land, and this man's name was Jesus. So you listened for a while, and you heard the unusual events of his life, and you'd heard things that you'd never heard before. For example, uh, this particular person would tell you that, that this Jesus, when he lived, did things like, uh, well, he walked on the top of the water. Well, you know, you worshipped a God and you believed in, in mystical things that could perhaps happen in, in people's lives. And so you thought, well, that's an unusual thing. But then he'd go further and he said, well, he took just a few bits of bread and a, a couple of small fishes and, and he, he had the multitudes, many thousands, sit down and with just those little bits of food while he fed all those people. Well, now that is unusual. And perhaps your curiosity would have been piqued and he would go on to tell you more and more about the life of this man and then he'd get to the point where he'd say, uh, this man raised the dead. Well, well surely this would, this would get your interest. Oh, this was an unusual man. And I wonder, is he a fictional character or did this man really exist? And, and as the story would go on, uh, this particular person would tell you, now let me tell you about what happened to this man. There was a day where the Romans marched this man out of the city up to the top of a small hill overlooking the city. And there with others who were criminals, they put nails in his hands and his feet. Now, now at this particular point, you would understand because you see, uh, you lived in a, in a province that was conquered by Rome and you would have seen crucifixion. Now, you would have known what it was to see a criminal crucified because you knew that the Roman government, their, their method of operation was to crucify the criminal just outside of any particular city in high traffic areas so that everybody would see the severity of the law against a criminal. So you knew what crucifixion was. So now you had some context and you think, wow, he must have been a bad guy, but wait a minute, I just heard about the life of this man named Jesus and it sounded like all he ever did was help people. But see, that wasn't the most amazing thing because this person would go on to say publicly, now I'm going to tell you something else about this Jesus, that he died and he was put into a borrowed tomb, but three days later he rose from the dead. Oh, now you'd never heard this before. And you can put yourself into the first century for just a minute and, and, and maybe divorce yourself of the knowledge that you already have of the Bible and, and put yourself into the culture in this day and imagine that you had heard this for the very first time. Now, at some stage after you heard this, this message, you knew it to be the gospel and it was explained to you and you were convicted of your sin. You trusted Jesus as your Savior and life changed, didn't it? Now, we can say if you're saved tonight that when you get saved, your life changes. Okay, so now your life has changed. But see, you, you don't have something in the first century that we have today because nobody had this book that they could put on their lap and read everything that God had intended for us to have. All you had was the stories and books of the, of the Old Testament, which none of them spoke of the name of Jesus. Uh, so you didn't have what we have today. And so you can picture that as you were growing and maturing in your faith, uh, that uh, you were hungry to learn more. Uh, wasn't it Jesus who told us uh, to learn of him? Uh, but how could we learn of him if we didn't have the writings of the New Testament which told us of his life? And so how, would, how did they know? Well, they knew that every now and then there would be a letter delivered from that person who told them about Jesus. And can you imagine the joy that it brought to the brethren uh, your friends in the community, some of your family, uh, they formed the church in that particular city and they met together and they worshiped and they prayed together, but they were hungry to learn. And how did they learn? They learned because a letter came. 
and it was a letter from Simon Peter. It was a letter from maybe the Apostle Paul. It was a letter that was teaching them the truths of the Christian life. And, and it is to that that I want to draw our attention tonight because I want you to put yourself in a position to understand how they must have felt when they got a letter. Now, I asked you to look at 2 Peter, and, and maybe I said to turn to chapter 3, but just flip over to chapter 1 for just a minute, and this is how we'll begin tonight. This is who it's written to, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have attained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, this is written to the, to the believers. Correct, this is written to the saved. Uh, so Peter is writing this letter. Uh, this, is, this is new to the believers, some of this. And he's writing this to saved people. So tonight what I preach to you, I, I preach to you out of this book which was written to the saved. This isn't written to the lost. None of this was written to the lost. This is written to the saved. And it's important you keep that in mind because we're going to start off in a particular place and you need to know why we're starting off here. This is God who's going to teach us some things as we as a church think about missions and the, the importance of this and the intent of God in our life, all right? So let's have a word of prayer. We'll get into 2 Peter chapter 3 as we begin tonight. Lord, thank you that we can open the word of God. We know that without the indwelling of the Spirit of God, there's no way we could discern it or understand it. There's no way we could know your intent for it in our life. And so, Lord, we are delighted tonight that as believers that we would have the privilege and opportunity to gather, to pause the, the things of life, the busyness and the cares and the difficulties of the week. And we lay those aside for a moment as we submit to the leadership of your Spirit as we learn your Word. Father, we're aware that a good part of our worship tonight is centered around our submission to and obedience to your word. And so help us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth as you intended. Lord, I pray that as believers tonight, that we would understand the purpose of this book, particularly the last part of it, and that we know how to make an application in our life. So help us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, this is a book that was written to believers, and what I want you to understand tonight as we look at 2 Peter is this. I, I want you to understand that um, God, intended, God intended for this book to make sense in our life. Uh, what we do is we're, we're commanded to rightly divide the word of truth, aren't we? We, we have a command to do that, but, but we've got to be very careful that we don't get too academic about the Bible and miss the practical truth that's here. This was written as a letter to the believers, so this was written in such a format as you and I would perhaps write a letter. It, was, it, had, it had logic, it had intent, it had methodology, it, it was going somewhere. And that's what Peter's doing here. Now we know that the Spirit of God has inspired this, and so we know that that was the intent of God, that it would teach us something practical and something true. And so Peter is writing it to that intent. And I want you to understand that we're not just going to pull some verses out. We're going to start here, but we're going we're to explain it in such a way as we understand the intent of God for our life. Let me ask you a question. Why are you still here? I don't mean in church. You might be asking yourself that question. I don't really know. Um, but why are you still here? Why is it that when you got saved, God didn't just take you home? We look at the world and we think, what a mess the world is in. Would you agree with that? There's things happening in the world today that some of you that are a little bit more seasoned in life would have never thought that it would happen in your generation. There's things 
that are happening today that were not even on your radar when you were growing up. Just uh, a, a day or so ago, I saw in the news, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm just getting to the point where I hate to read the news, but I was, I was looking at the news and somewhere in, in the world, it was probably America, um, that there was a high school competition. Did you see that? There was a, there was a competition and in, in this uh, high school girls competition, there were two or three transgender students, which were, um, which were boys who now think they're girls competing with the girls, and they just flogged all the girls because naturally they could do that. And they won first and second and whatever. They won all the top prizes, and everybody's up in arms about the whole thing. For some of you that are in your 50s and beyond, you never knew the word transgender, much less ever had a concept that that would ever be a reality in your generation. But did not Paul tell us that the world is waxing worse and worse? And men are deceiving and being deceived. And that's what we see happening worldwide. It's everywhere. And so we're looking at life and we're saying, Lord, why in the world are you not back yet? Why in the world are we still here? Somebody was saying to me just recently, they were talking about the end times and they were saying, man, this is just like the days of Noah. And I thought, we are nowhere near the days of Noah. Uh, It's bad today, but brethren, it's not that bad. Okay, in the whole world, there were eight people that were righteous. Okay, we've got him beat. It's not that bad yet but we're on our way. And so I'm asking you the question, why are we still here? Oh, what's the intent and purpose of our life? And God's going to answer that as we think about missions tonight, all right? So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to just pick it up right in the middle of the chapter, verse number 10. 2 Peter 3 and verse number 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness." Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction." I was, uh, I was reading this not long ago, and when I read into verse number 16, it, it sort of made me smile a little bit. Well, verse number 15 made me smile a little bit because uh, have you ever read a, a place in the Bible and you just sort of scratched your head and you thought, what in the world does that mean? Or surely I'm not the only guy in church that's done that, right? Um, it seems like on a regular basis I'll read something and I'll think, man, I, I'm really not sure what he's driving at here. I've got to study and learn that. And it made me smile because I'm reading what Peter said. And Peter said, um, you know, Paul has written some of these things to you. And he said, some of them are are hard to be understood. And I thought, man, if if Peter can't understand it, I'm okay, right? Um, And so he said, said, these are things that you've heard some of these things, but there's some of these things that you haven't heard. And so here we are tonight, and we're putting ourselves as believers in the position of the first century believers who are now reading this and learning this for the very first time. 
and they've been pulled out of idolatry. They've, they've seen the light of the gospel. They've believed, and they're facing a generation which is completely the opposite of Christianity. There is zero Christian influence in their city, not any except for them. And so now Peter is going to write to them and say, I'm going to tell you some things about why you are still here. What is the intent of God for your life? And he starts off by looking at verse number 10. This is what he says. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, I find it interesting that as we start tonight, that Peter would remind them about a future judgment. Peter's writing to saved people, correct? This is not to the lost. Now, we know from the word of God that the day of the Lord here is not the rapture of the church. This isn't the calling away of you and I as believers to heaven. That's not what this is. This day of the Lord here is a reference to the judgment of God upon this world. And there's two parts to that judgment. There is the, the physical burning of this earth and all of the elements of the earth. And then there is also the, the correlating judgment of the lost who are still here. And so Peter begins now by reminding us that there is a future judgment coming to the earth. Now, brethren, listen to me. This is important for us because this is God reminding you and I tonight in the 21st century that this world will be judged one day. The earth and the works that are therein will be burned. And everything that we see around us will be dissolved one day. Uh, you know, so many Christians, uh, they're, they're living for things. Well, what can I get out of life? How much can I save? How much can I spend? How much can I buy? How much can I upgrade? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with saving, spending, buying, and upgrading. But if that's what you live your life for, and you're tangled up with the things of life like that, you have missed it as a child of God. And he's reminding us not to get too attached to this world because all that you see is going to be burned up one day. You, you know why that's true? Because sin entered the world. And Romans tells you death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. And it wasn't just the, the humanity, the sin that entered humanity, but because sin has corrupted all of the creation of God, it all must be destroyed. Do we not know from Revelation chapter 21 that God's going to recreate the heavens and the earth? It's, it's all going to be new one day. Well, what happens with the old? He says he's going to burn it up. It's going to be dissolved. We just read it here. And God's reminding us tonight there's a future judgment. Hey, hey, listen, the house that you're living in, there's going to be one, or two, one of two or three things going to happen to that house. Uh, somebody else is going to live in it after you die. Uh, or it's going to finally fall down. Have you ever driven out in, in the rural part of New South Wales somewhere? The Heberleys, you probably see this all the time when you're out in the middle of nowhere. You see these dilapidated old buildings that have probably been there for 150 years, and they used to be a homestead. And somebody used to live there, and somebody raised their family there, and somebody farmed and ranched from that particular place. But today, it's nothing but boards, nothing but dust. It's abandoned, it's forsaken, it's worth nothing. And brethren, that's what all we have and all that we possess will one day be. It will one day be that way. It will be worth nothing. And we are supposed to live for things that are eternal. We're supposed to keep our eyes and perspective on eternal things. And in Colossians chapter 3, we're to set our affection on things above. Our affection, our heart's desire. So God is saying here to believers, he's saying, I want to remind you tonight, it's not a threat. You're not going to experience this as believers, but there will be a future judgment in this world. So don't get too attached to the things of the world. We have this tendency, don't we, to be attached here. 
We have our affection. It just, I think, is a human condition. We want to put our affection onto the things of, that we have around us. Um, I, I have an affection for my car, so I want, to, I want to wax it every day. And we do that right after we buy it, right? Okay, kids, there's no hot chips in the car. I just bought the car. Two weeks later, there's ketchup on the floor. You know, you spill the Coke down the cracks of the seat. But we have this tendency to set our affection on, on stuff that doesn't matter. But why else do you think God would remind us of a future judgment? I think uh, also in part for us not only to not get attached to this world, but also to realize that the people that are here without Jesus Christ, will they not face an eternity somewhere? Brethren, do we believe that? There, there's no gray area here. As ch children of God, why, we either believe that it's true or we do not believe that what God said is true. And if there's people out there and they are lost and they've never heard the gospel or they have rejected what they've heard, one way or the other, when they die without Jesus Christ, they're going to go to hell. Hell is in the center of the earth. And there will come a day where the Bible tells us that, that death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. It's the second death. And there's no reprieve from that judgment. There's no get-out-of-jail-free card. There's no way to escape the judgment of God. And every lost person without Jesus Christ will spend an eternity in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. If you're here tonight without Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus came to save you from that eternity. Because the consequence of your sin is not just separation from God, but punishment while you're separated from God. It is the just reward of your sin. And not just you, friend, but all of us. We deserve it. And so Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. And God's reminding us as children of God tonight that there's a future judgment. And so you're sitting here tonight and you say, okay, hey, listen, preacher, I understand that there's going to come a judgment. But notice what Peter says. He says in verse number 11 then, he says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Hey, listen, because you know this to be true. Uh, church, there's a future what? A future judgment, all right? So because we know that to be true, notice verse number 11. He says, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? He says, now I want to talk to you about your present testimony. Because you know that the future is going to be a judgment upon this world, I want to talk to you about your testimony in this life today. Hey, listen, Christian, how are you living your life today? How are we living in the sight of the world? Let's talk about our testimony for just a moment. Uh, there's oftentimes in, in, in church or maybe in camp and, you know, we'll, we'll gather around and, and we'll, we'll say, well, let's just hear your testimony. Let's testify. And somebody say, well, I got saved and that's kind of their testimony. But, but here, I think what God is referring to when he, when he talks about this is uh, something deeper than when we got saved. I want you to understand what God is saying here. Look in verse number, verse number 11. He said, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Ah, so God's going to define for us what our testimony is, and it's found in two ways. First of all, he talked about our conversation. Now, uh, me and Alex could have a conversation. I'm going to talk to you about your life, and you're going to talk to me about mine. And we're going to sit down over a cup of coffee, and we're going to have a discussion. We call that having a conversation. But in the Word of God, the word conversation is much broader than that. It, it encompasses the whole life. So God says, now, what manner of persons ought ye, all of you, ye is plural, so here it is, God's looking at us and he's saying, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation? So what is my manner of life supposed to be described at? He said it, holy, holy. 
My manner of life is supposed to be holy. Now, I know that none of us are perfect in this area, but you understand that holiness in the Bible was not an optional extra. I'm, I'm driving a car that somebody loaned me today, um, and uh, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy the car, I tell you. But um, one thing I've noticed as I've looked around on the car is that it's got every option. It's even got options I don't know what they are. I'm pushing buttons because I don't know what to do. I'm waiting to get ejected. But, um, but, you know, you can go down to the car dealer, and uh, you can get a car today, and you know what you can do? You can say, well, um, well, I want this option, but I don't want this option. You know, you can get, I don't even know if power windows are an option today. I think everything is power windows. But, you know, our kids don't even know what that crank is on the side of a door. They'll, they'll, they don't know what it is, right? Uh, air conditioning, well, it's optional. Cruise control, it's optional. So sometimes we think about things of the Word of God, and we think, well, this is just optional to the Christian. But you understand holiness was never intended to be an option. As a matter of fact, it was a command. Hey, here's what God said, be ye holy. Well, Why? Because he said, I am holy. It's not optional. He said, your life, your conversation, the way the world sees you and I is supposed to be holy in our living. We're supposed to be holy. You know, the conversation is the way that the world views me. This is, it's this way right here. It's not just believers, but it's lost. Everybody is viewing our life, our conversation, and the Bible says, I want you to be considering your present testimony today. Is it holy? The way people see your life, is it holy? Uh, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in lifestyle evangelism? Some people say, well, I don't believe in that. Well, if it was by itself, I don't believe in it either. But you can't say that you're a Christian and try to give somebody the gospel if your life doesn't back up your message. You've got to have a lifestyle that backs up what you say. If you say that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and he's redeemed me from my sin, then brethren, you and I had better be living the life that we're testifying about or nobody's going to believe it. Matter of fact, we will push people away from the cross because they're going to look at the hypocrisy of who you are versus what you say and they're going to say, I want nothing to do with that. And how many people do you know and have you met that have rejected Christ on the basis of somebody who is a hypocritical professing Christian. A whole lot of them. A whole lot of them, right? So he says, your conversation, the way you're living your life, he says, it matters to God because people observe your life. As believers, we observe one another, and if you're living a holy life, you know what that's meant to do? It's meant to provoke me to live holy. If you're living for Jesus Christ as a professing believer, and I observe your life and the holiness of your life, it is meant to provoke me to be more holy in my life. But if, if you're living your life as a holy person to the lost, it may not provoke them to get saved, it may just provoke them. But you understand that's the intent of God as well because all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will you know, suffer persecution. So he says uh, there's a future judgment so in light of the fact that we understand that's coming, I want to talk to you about your present testimony. How are you living your life? And he said, I want your conversation, that's this way, to be holy. But he also said godliness. Did you notice at the end of verse 11? What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You know what godliness is? Godliness is the character of the inner man. It's something that only God can see. Now, godliness on the inside will produce something on the outside. But godliness is the character of the inside. And you understand? God is interested in the inner man, is he not? God is looking at the heart. 
And brethren, God cares about who we are on the inside. Our testimony where only God can see. So let's just talk plainly. Uh, what we know as believers, if we've been saved for a while, is that we can make a good profession and we can look the part of the good Christian, but it could be rotten on the inside. Have you ever been there? Hey, I'm just telling you, I know what that's like. I've been there. I know what it's like to make a profession, to be Mr. Church, you know. I, I understand what all that's like, but then there's hypocrisy because I'm not living right. Godliness is the character and quality of the inner man, and God says, I can see that in you, and it matters to me. What manner of person ought you to be in your godliness? Do you understand godliness is this way? That's the inner man that God sees, and he says, I'm looking at that. So here we have Samuel who comes to David's house. And Eliab shows up. He's looking at the sons of Jesse. Who's the next king? He said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Because Eliab looked the part. He was tall. He was kingly. He was good looking. And he probably had the square jaw, the full head of hair. I mean, he was everything that the king was supposed to be. And God said to Samuel, oh, no. Don't look at the outside, Samuel. You're looking at the way he looks, and you're thinking, this has got to be the guy. And God said, I've refused him. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And God cares about the inside. Because God is looking at your life and my life tonight as a child of God, and he's saying, I want to remind you about something Christian so that you don't get too infused in this world and caught up with the cares of this world and intertwined with all of the things of the world that steal your affection from God. He said, I want you to know that there will be a future judgment that's coming to this world, and don't forget that it's coming. And in light of that, let's talk about your present testimony. How are you living in the sight of the world? And more importantly, how's your heart condition that only God can see? Because it matters to God. So then let's move on. He says in verse number 11, what manner of persons ought you to be? Notice in verse 12, you're, you're looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. So basically he's saying, you're, you believe by faith that this is coming. You're looking for this. You understand that God is going to do this. But I want you to notice what he says in verse number 14. He says, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, meaning that you believe that this is true, you're, you're waiting for these things to happen. Verse 14, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. I call this, I call this a confident introduction. You know, when I was six years old, you, some of you may know my testimony. When I, when I was six years old, I went to a, like a holiday Bible club, and it was a week-long thing, and, and every day, I, apparently, I went forward and I got saved every day. So I am super spiritual, right? Some of you have only been saved one time. And then Friday, Friday they told my mom and, and she led me to Christ. Okay. So I got saved when I was six. Um, you know, I met Jesus when I was six years old as a boy, but I've never had an introduction. Oh, there's coming a day when I'm going to have an introduction, but I haven't had that yet. There was a time when Pastor and I were introduced for the first time. It's a long time ago now. But we had our first introduction. And that, that's the only first introduction I'll ever have with him. It's only going to happen once. I was introduced to all of you at some stage over the past, and we only ever had one introduction. It's only ever going to happen once. Now, I'm calling this a confident introduction because what Peter said here in verse number 14 is because you know that these things are true. 
Uh, you know that the world is going to be judged one day. You understand that all that you see will be dissolved one day. You understand that all lost people will spend an eternity suffering for their sin because you know that's true. Peter says, how are you living your life today? What manner of person should you be? Now, why does that matter? Because there's coming a day when you as a child of God will also face judgment. And he says here, he says, because you know this is true, be diligent, verse 14, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. There's coming a day, brethren, when you and I as children of God will face Jesus Christ for the very first time. And our faith will become sight. And we will see him as he is. And in that day, we will give account for our life. If you're saved by the grace of God tonight, then from the day that you were saved until the day you see Jesus, you and I will give account for what we've done in our life for him. We will give account. And I want to ask you, how intentional is your life? I don't mean to preach at you, brethren. This is convicting to me when I think about this. But how intentional is, is our life? Are we living with intent? I wonder how many of you here tonight are drifting. Well, I'm just sort of drifting along. I'm going to drift into church if I feel like it. I'll, I'll let some money drift into the offering bag if I feel like it. I'll drift into prayer if I feel like it. I'll, I'll drift into my Bible if I feel like it. You understand that we never drift closer to God? It never happens. There's got to be an anchor point. And Peter uses the word in verse number 14. Notice what he says, be diligent. You understand the intent behind that? You have got to live intentionally. It takes some diligence to stand before Jesus Christ and say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Why is it that only Paul could say that? You understand, God wrote this for us. And he has shown us through the word of God how we can live our life so that we can face Jesus Christ with confidence at his coming. Not that we are arrogant, not in pride, not look how good I am and how great I've done in my life, but so that when Jesus comes, we can say, I've done what you told me to do. I wasn't sinless. He never expected that from any of us. I wasn't sinless. I, I had my, my share of mistakes. But here's what it was. I walked with God, and I was consistent, and I was faithful, and as I was obedient and submissive to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God in my life. I have done what you have given me to do in my life. And it's going to take some diligence if we're going to be able to face Jesus that way. It's going to take some diligence. I was just reading 1 John this morning where John talked about the exact same thing. And he, he said that we should live our life that way so that we are not ashamed before him at his coming. Guys, listen, we should live our life in such a manner every day as if Jesus was coming back today. Hey, if, if you and I knew that he was coming back in 30 minutes, like right now, uh, what would be different about that next 30 minutes? I think we'd probably all scatter for various reasons. There'd be some of us, we'd be all on our face in the grass behind the building saying, oh God, I got to get some things right. And there'd be some of us on the phone calling a loved one and a friend saying, I have neglected to share the gospel with you and I need to tell you this and we have a very brief period of time so listen to what I have to tell you. There may be some just on their knees weeping for joy. You understand, we'd all face that a little bit differently. But we need to have some diligence about our life so that when Jesus Christ comes back, we are not ashamed before him at his coming. And so we're talking about a confident introduction. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And Peter is reminding these believers, hey, listen, you need to know there's a judgment coming.
and the world is going to be judged. We look at the flags around this auditorium tonight, and, and I, I was thinking as I sat there before I got up to preach, there's so few that I recognize what country they're from. And I was ashamed of myself, and I thought, you know, I really should just sit down and look at the 230-some-odd countries in the world, and I should memorize the flag. I don't know. I just felt convicted about that. I'm not so convicted I'll do anything, but I felt convicted, you know. But every one of those flags represents millions of people. And we look at the back wall and thank God for the missionaries that we support, but we go and we stand there and we look at that map and we think, we're not even scratching the scratch. We're not even making a dent. And it's okay, we'll talk about that later in the week as well. But we should understand these people are lost. So the Lord says, this, this is going to happen to this world, and so how are you living? Now, what do your friends and workmates see about Jesus in your life? When's the last time that you and I shared the gospel with the people that we see every day? That we cared enough to share it. It's not osmosis. They're not just going to get it because we sit next to them in a cubicle. They're not just going to get it because we're close to them on the train. We might read our Bible or a little Bible tract on the train, and, and that's fine, and that's a great witnessing tool, but that's an introduction to the gospel to the person sitting next to us. So then he says, you're going to face the judgment yourself. And I want you to have some confidence. Now, with all of that as the introduction, I'll give you the short message. I've done this before, all right? If we're talking about an intentional life, living a life intentionally for Jesus Christ, and we're thinking about this missions conference, and we're saying, Lord, what is it that you want us to know and understand this year? Going forward here, you know, we've got six months left in the calendar year, and and there's just a lot that God could do in the church and a lot that God could do in my personal life. God, what do you want me to know and understand? He said, remember this. Um, I'm going to judge the world and all that's in it. So your life matters. The way people see you live your life, but the way I see in your heart, the way you're living your life. Why does that matter? Oh, because you're going to face judgment one day. Not a judgment of the lost. Not whether you're going to go to heaven or whether you're going to go to hell. You're already on your way to heaven. Thank the Lord. He's not appointed us to wrath. So it's not that kind of a judgment, but it is a judgment of what you and I have done for Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 3 tells us all about the, the fire that our works will go through and whatever abides when it comes out of the fire. And it's a reminder that you and I will face that judgment, so we must be diligent about the way we're living our life. So let's just assume then that all of us as believers have grasped that truth. I'm reminded of the judgment. I'm mindful of my testimony. I'm aware that I'm going to face judgment. Now, what happens from here? Notice the crux of the matter. He said in verse number 14 again, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. He says, and I want you to account, verse 15. You know what that word account means? I, I want you to consider. Take this into consideration. Notice verse 15 then. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Hey guys, you know why the Lord hasn't come back yet? Because he's long-suffering to a world that he wants to be saved. Peter is saying, would you just not consider this truth? That yes, the world deserves judgment. And your testimony matters because you're going to face judgment one day. But if you realize the truth of the future judgment of this world and you alter your life and adjust it to live for Jesus Christ now, then you'll understand the purpose of life as a child of God. 
And we know ultimately the purpose of our life is to please the Lord. Revelation 4 and verse number 11. We were created for His pleasure, right? But what we do with our life matters to the Lord, and here's why. Because He says, I want you to consider to account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. The reason He hasn't come back yet is because there's a world that needs to be saved. And He's long-suffering with that world. Just last week, was it, in Ireland? Just last week, we have, uh, apparently, Ireland has a homosexual prime minister, and and uh, they've legalized same-sex marriage in that country. And, and uh, just last week, everybody rejoiced that they've overturned the law and they're now allowing abortion to be legal in Ireland. So everybody's dancing in the streets because they can murder babies. And we look at a country like that and we say, man, why has not the swift hammer of God's judgment fallen upon a nation? Do they not deserve it? The answer, yes, they do. Can I ask you this question? Does Australia deserve it any less? Is there a nation anywhere in the world that deserves less of the judgment of God than that nation? The answer is no. We deserve the judgment of God. Why has not the judgment of God fallen upon the world? He says, I want you to consider, to account, that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Why hasn't he judged the world? Because there's still people out there who need to be saved, and he's willing for them to be saved. Now, whose responsibility is that? It's us. Uh, the, the gospel message is not written in the stars. You, you can look all night long and you're not going to see it there. Uh, there's not going to be any angel flying over like those airplanes with the big things trailing out the back telling you the gospel message. If you see something like that, it's not of God. It was Cornelius that was a religious man seeking God and an angel came and all the angel said was Cornelius... Your alms have come up as a memorial before God. He's heard what you've prayed. Send a Joppa for Peter. He'll tell you what you need to know. It wasn't the angel's responsibility. Uh, whose responsibility is it, brethren? It's us. To share the gospel. It's what pastor was trying to get across in the first message. What a great truth. What a great thought. And this is just a re-emphasis of all of that truth. That now that we understand the judgment that's coming to the world and we alter our life and our testimony to make sure we're living for Jesus because we also know that we will face judgment, then God says, now that you have the right mindset and you're living your life in accordance with the word of God, then you'll understand the reason I haven't judged the world is because I'm sending you out into the world to preach the gospel. I am long-suffering with the world that needs to hear the gospel message that Jesus saves. And we have been given the task. It's only going to happen when we live an intentional life. We have to live intentionally for Jesus Christ. And that really is the challenge for all of us tonight. May God help us in that. Let's pray. Father, we only just want to bow and ask God for your forgiveness for any of us, Lord, that may need to confess some things. Maybe it's apathy. And cold-heartedness, Lord, maybe it's just the fact that we've been caught up with pleasures and cares and the things that the world offers to us. And maybe for some of us, we're just self-centered. Maybe some of us are just neglectful. But God, we offer up a prayer of repentance here tonight for the many missed and wasted opportunities to invest the gospel message into the lost. We thank you, Lord, that you are a long-suffering God, even to your children, that your, your mercies are new, that you will forgive, and we, we claim that, and we, uh, we rest in that truth. But, Lord, 
you said that if any of us be hearers of the word and not doers, then we are deceiving ourselves. And so, Father, we just want to ask you to help us to be reminded as we wake up tomorrow morning and we go about the day that we would not neglect to consider the people that we come across tomorrow. Lord, as I look in the back here of this church, I see there's a, there's a couple of racks with some gospel tracks. How easy would it be for us to, to empty that tonight? There, there may not even be a hundred of those there, but surely the church would pass a hundred lost people tomorrow. God, help us to open our eyes and forgive us for being asleep if we are. But Lord, I pray that this reminder tonight would be just a gentle reminder of the Holy Spirit that you would do in us individually and personally what needs to be done and that we would realize that as we adjust our life that we are meant to share the gospel. Help us to that end, to be passionate, to be diligent, to be concerned about a world that's on its way to hell, we pray in Jesus' name tonight.